morning, everyone. God bless you. Um, I just want to point out that I have the biggest Bible I own right here. Because my son says when I preach without a Bible, I don't look legit. So... So go, <laughs> I can't, I can't. Uh, let's go over to Revelations. Revelations is the last book in the Bible, for those of you who don't know, not sure. Revelations 3, verses 14 through 22, and I believe they're going to put it up on the screen. And kids' church starts now, amen? And it says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, these things say the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm, and highlight lukewarm in your Bibles or your devices. <laughs> Let me read that again. So then because you are lukewarm and neither hot, I'm sorry, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Highlight zealous. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as also I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Father God, we just thank you, Lord God. Father God, we worship you and we honor you and we love you and we love your word, Lord. Father God, let me decrease that you may increase. Have your way, Lord God. Speak to me and through me and bless your people this day, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Now, I hear people say all the time that showing up is half the battle. And that's true, because some people don't even bother to show up, Amen. But the other half of the battle is being ready for the battle. Amen? Amen. Preparing for it and practicing for it. Uh, what I want to talk to you about today, I'm calling combating lukewarmness, the practice of being zealous. Amen? That's why I had you to highlight lukewarm and zealous. And I have found that um, at my ripe old age of 49 that I've encountered three kinds of people. People who go hard in everything that they get involved in, like the Apostle Paul. He was a hardcore Pharisee who persecuted Christians with all that he had. 
And when he had an encounter with Christ, he turned that same zealousness into serving the kingdom and converting people to Christ and setting up churches. Amen? Then there's a second kind of people, people who don't go hard about anything. They stand on the sidelines and they watch. An example of this is in Matthew 19, verses 18 through 22, when Jesus was speaking of the rich young ruler. Um, there was this rich young ruler who was following Jesus around and um, believing in Jesus and wanting his anointing. And he asked Jesus, what should I do um, to be more holy, to really give my life and come and serve with you? And Jesus told him, well, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do the other? He said, yes, Lord, I do that. I do that. I do that. And the Lord said, well, you have need of just one thing. You're missing one thing to be perfect. And he said, what is it? What is it? And he says, give up all you have, sell everything you have, give it away, and come with me. And the rich young ruler was very sad by that, and he walked away. And he didn't come and serve Christ. So we're not talking about him now as the 13th disciple, amen? He liked, and I put here that he was in love with Jesus' anointing but didn't want the responsibility and the discomfort that went with it. Amen? That's why he was a spectator. Then there's the last bunch, people who pick and choose what they go hard for, and that's Peter. One minute he's cutting off people's ears and being confrontational, and then the next minute he's denying Jesus three times before the cock crowed twice. Most of us fall into that category. We pick and choose what we get involved with and what we go whole hog on, as they say. But most of the time, if it doesn't involve us and we have no real skin in the game and it doesn't affect our friends and our family, we don't get involved. But when push comes to shove, who are the people that you want in your corner? And more importantly, what kind of person are you? So as I read this, I said to myself, I think I'm zealous. I think I go hard. I show up. I'm right or die. Amen? <laughs> At least most people would say I am. So what is this lukewarmness? And, and how do I avoid being vomit, right? And I'm sorry for anybody watching online who's eating breakfast. <laughs> it's late anyways. It really should be lunch, but... Um, I don't want to be vomit, right? So how do I avoid being vomit? So I looked it up in the dictionary, and what lukewarm means is moderately warm. And then it went on to say lacking conviction and half-heartedness. Half-hearted, and I thought about that, and I was like, wow, it reminded me of another scripture. In Deuteronomy 6.5, where it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. That's what God wants of us. So half-hearted, that's not a good thing. But do I? Do I love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might all the time? No, I don't. And I'm um, speaking to you today about me, if it applies to you, praise the Lord. When I first wrote this whole thing out, I was like, you, you, you. And God was like, no, you. <laughs> I 
I was like, all right, Lord. So I'm going to be talking about me, which, you know, all the preachers tell you, you never preach talking about yourself, really. Not that way. But today I am. So I, I had a conversation with myself, and I said, I don't want to be half-hearted. I want to be zealous. I want to be like Paul, but sometimes I do just go through the motions, amen, because my mind is distracted, and it's on many, many things all the day long. Like most of us, we have full lives, and our heart, our intention is to serve Christ with all that we have, but between work, family, friends, school, bills, traffic, train troubles, whatever, I get up every morning to pray at 5 a.m., and by 7 when I'm on the bus, that went out the window. <laughs> and I get to work, and I'm like, well, what happened? I got all prayed up. I was feeling good, and now I'm at work. And Because just in that time of waiting for the bus, and getting on the bus, riding the bus, then getting on the train, riding the train, by the time I get to work, I'm done. Like the grace went out the door with the train. I'm not even sure what happens, Pastor. So and I'm like, what kind of Christian am I that I can't hold on to all that anointing for an hour, hour and a half, you know? But the truth of the matter is it's a constant thing. It's, we're constantly being barraged by all these senses, all, all these people and their personalities bumping into you, honking at you, pushing you to get past just to run up the escalator so they could get their coffee before they clock in. And then you got to pass all the people smoking outside the building doors where it clearly says no smoking within 30 feet of the entrance. So by the time you get upstairs and I get upstairs and the boss starts with whatever he needs, I'm like, <sighs> what happened to my grace? What happened to my anointing? What happened to my authority, right? That's how we get lukewarm. So what does half-hearted look like? How can I tell if I'm lukewarm? And again, I'm talking about me. I'm just taking you guys along for the ride. I ask myself these, I ask myself this question, these questions. Do I sometimes hold back? Do I not give my all? Amen. Do I wait to see what people will do for me before I do for them? Do I wait and see what others think or what they're going to do before I take action? Do I show up to work and do just enough to earn my paycheck but not a bit more counting years till my retirement? Do I inconvenience myself to go visit people in the hospital or do I hope somebody else goes? Do I sit through praise and worship waiting for them to stir me up or do I bring the praise? Do I come in amped up and excited to worship my king, the one true living God who saved me from myself? Or do I zone out while the word is coming forth? Do I allow people around me to engage in gossip and mean-spirited behavior and not defend or speak up for that person? Do I seek to please man more than God? Am I more concerned, and this was the biggie, for me, not you. <laughs> Am I more concerned with what people think of me than what God thinks of me? And yes, God loves me no matter what. 
but does that mean we can be half-hearted towards him? Right? God won't walk away, and we rely too much on that. So we're like, okay, God, I'm good with you. Let me worry about everybody else out here and what they think of me and how they think it. And God doesn't want that. Because he, we just read that he will spit us out, spit us out of his mouth, which means lukewarmness disgusts him. Have you ever tasted something that was too salty or spoiled, like spoiled milk? When you taste it, you immediately spit it out of your mouth. Amen? Well, that's what God says he will do to lukewarm people. So I don't, I don't want to be lukewarm. Amen? In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, Paul says it in other words. He says, but you know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is the part that got me, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That means we come into church and we know how to praise and we know how to talk the churchy talk and we've given up the easy things but not the true heart work that needs to be done. He doesn't have our whole hearts. He goes on to say, from such people turn away, stay away from lukewarm people. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to the come to the knowledge of truth. How many of you know you can learn so much, but if you don't apply it, it means nothing? People pay thousands of dollars for educations. If you don't use it, it's of no import. Now, as John's and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Amen? That's his version of lukewarm people and what happens to them, that they're not fooling anybody. We're not fooling anybody, because eventually we will reap what we sow. Eventually, these things will come to light that our walk isn't what it should be. Amen? Do you ever watch those movies where somebody has a best friend or a sidekick and you're rooting for them and they're fighting everybody and they're one catastrophe after another after another and 15 minutes before the movie ends, that friend betrays them? Your heart sinks. And you're like, oh my God, like you didn't see that coming. Those are lukewarm people. They cannot be trusted. They serve you when it's easy to serve you, but then at the end of the day, they go back to what's comfortable for them. Lukewarm people do more damage to the body of Christ than cold people. Cold people are considered the unsaved, the ones who don't know the truth yet, like we were before we came to Christ. They can't do any damage because they don't know and therefore, they're not pretending to be anything they're not. And hot people 
are fully committed. Those are the people that are sold out on fire, like we discussed earlier, Paul. So you don't really have to worry about them either because they're always Christ-minded. They're always doing the work of the Lord. We call them fanatics. Sometimes we laugh, right? But we don't worry about those people. And when we need prayer, those are the people we go to. Amen? So how do we combat lukewarmness? In the scripture we read before, he said to be zealous and repent. That's the only way you combat lukewarmness. You have to be the complete opposite, which is zealous, on fire, going hard all the time. The dictionary says that to be zealous is to be eager, having a fiery, hot, passionate interest in, pursuit of something or someone. And we've all been zealous about things, right? Your wife, your husband, maybe your career, maybe your child, maybe promotions, your education. We've all been zealous about something where that's all we thought about, all we worked towards. Some people are sports. They're big sports fanatics. But even that takes sacrifice. It costs something. When you're in pursuit of something, everything else falls by the wayside. Amen? It takes sacrifice and it takes practice and we're not always willing to do that. Like the rich young ruler, we say and we do all the right things when we're caught up in the motions of church and moments of worship. The rich young ruler was fascinated by Jesus and his preachings and his miracles, but when it came time to step up and come out of his comfort zone and give up some stuff, things that were sacrificial and inconvenient, he opted not to. He opted to stand back and watch on the sidelines. Like he liked it, but he didn't like it enough, right? To give up his stuff. And we all have stuff that we have to give up if we want to go to a higher level in whatever it is, in your education, in your job, in your marriage, in your finances. You have to give certain stuff up if you're prioritizing and you want to get to that next level. Amen? When we come to Christ, our life is changed radically. If your life is not changed radically, then you didn't experience rebirth. You experienced emotionality. You got goosebumps. But goosebumps are temporary. They don't last and they don't get you through the tough times. They don't even get you from leaving your house in the morning to be, getting to work. It, you won't make it. There's too much out there bombarding against you. Emotions don't give you the courage to step up and they don't produce long-lasting results. When the first big wind blows, we're off course and we're out of the game. But here's the problem. It's clear when I'm saying it up here to myself because I'm not talking to you guys. But it's harder to distinguish when you're becoming lukewarm. We realize that we've become lukewarm when push comes to shove. When your back is up against the wall and you're in the midst of a crisis. When it's the moment. But we fail to realize that this is the moment. That every moment is the moment to do something, to stand up for something, to be zealous. We live in a society where if our devices don't remind us to do something, we don't do it. I have two watches now, an Apple watch. Um, what's the other thing I have down there? The Fitbit. It literally tells you when to breathe, Pastor. When to walk, when to stand up, that it's time to breathe, that you didn't get in as much steps as your friend did who's always challenging you. 
that she walks 20,000 steps a day, and you're at like 100. And that's what we do. It literally gives you, it even reminds you when it's people's birthday. Like, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. Do you want to send them a, you know, whatever. So we no longer even rely on our minds or our memories or what our heart wants. We let our devices tell us what's important. We let Facebook tell us what's important. That's how we become like lukewarm. We go on there to look for one thing. I go to look for pastor streaming. And then I see a kitten and a cat and a puppy. <laughs> then I see my girlfriend post pictures of Sophia. So I got to go on her thing, right? Before I know it, I'm on Facebook for two hours, and I forgot that I went on there to stream pastor. <laughs> but this is how we start sliding down the slippery slope into lukewarmness. Because that hour and a half, I could have listened to three of his messages. And that would have empowered me and given me what I needed that day. And not that looking at Sophia isn't precious. But Sophia can't get me to where I need to go. The puppy maybe. I love puppies. So we expect those same notifications and alerts and these flashing signs that'll say, do something now. Stop it now. Say no to that now. Don't go that way. Leave that person alone. Or defend that person. Open your mouth. Stop the gossip. But it doesn't happen that way. It's a lot of smaller decisions along the way that lead to the big decisions in a moment of truth. It's the still, small voice inside you, that nudging, that I shouldn't be listening to this. I should say something. I should do something. But we don't. Because we don't want to offend the person who's doing the gossiping. We don't want to be confrontational. We don't want to put skin in the game. We don't want them to think whatever and then not invite us to their next party. Right? We don't want to not be popular. We don't want people thinking, oh, I can't even talk around her. She gets too funny. Yeah, that's right. Don't talk around me. I do get funny. Yeah. But like everything else, being zealous takes practice. You have to practice it like you practice your faith, like you practice any other skill, like playing an instrument or playing a sport. We have to practice self-control, gratitude, patience, forgiveness, love, unselfishness, because these are not things that come naturally to us. We were born in this sinful earth. And we're affected by that sin every single day. So it's not easy. But when the moment of crisis comes, that's already too late to try to dig down deep and pull out some courage that you're not used to using on a daily basis. Peter denied Jesus three times. Had he stood up for him for the first time, there would have been no need for a second or a third. But the Lord is gracious, and he keeps giving us opportunities to get it right and go stronger because he's good like that. 
Although it's easier to do nothing, sometimes we don't realize that the next time it may be us standing in the need of prayer. It may be us that needs defending against somebody talking bad about us, slandering us, saying things about us that they don't even know. It's easy for us to criticize Peter for denying Jesus, but would we have stepped up if we were there? Absolutely not. We would not have. Maybe pastor. Right? Maybe? Okay. If any of us, it would be pastor. Let's put it like that. And we all have reasons why we wouldn't go hard or we stick out our neck for other people, right? We have our own families to worry about. We have our own lives to worry about. We don't feel like we have to be everybody's superhero. But we forget that we were once in the need of prayer. That it was me once who was glad that the church doors were open when I was despondent and in despair and people prayed for me or came to see me in the hospital or went to stand with me at a funeral. We forget that. We forget that there was always people there for us. When we don't want to come out on Wednesdays, oops. We forget. I don't even remember what I said. When we don't come out on Wednesdays for prayer, we forget that the 12, 15 people that are here are praying for all of you. Prayed you in, prayed you through when you had a need. Most of us get texts weekly, oh, pray for my sister, pray for my cousin, pray for my uncle. And we're happy to do that. We do it all the time. But it would be nice if you came. And I'm not looking, I'm talking to myself. I'm not looking at anybody. But we all have stuff to do, right? We all have lives that are full and complicated. That's why it's called sacrifice and commitment. You have to sometimes give up sleep, give up going home and eating something other than a slice of pizza from down the block, because that's all you have time for between work and church. You make sacrifices because you're needed here to pray. Amen? And we don't like to think that we'd show up on game day and be the hero and score the touchdown in the last minutes that saves the game. But the truth of the matter is that if you don't show up for practice, you're not playing in the game. Anybody here play sports? You didn't show up to practice? You were not playing on Saturday or Sunday or whatever it was. That's right. Right? You don't, can't sing if you don't come to rehearsal. Amen. So you'd never get the opportunity to be the hero and score the winning touchdown because you didn't care enough to show up for practice. A couple of months ago, I was notified about an hour and a half before service while I was on my way to teach bell that I had to preach. It wasn't good, the feeling. Um, but thank God, because Brenda asked me to teach bells, I had my iPad with me. And I'm always jotting down notes, I'm always studying, I'm always writing ideas. So when the time came, the Holy Spirit was able to pull out of me what I had already prepared. And that's no testimony to me, that's all God. That put it in my heart because he knew I was going to one day get that call an hour and a half before service, which I never want to get again. <laughs> FYI. FYI. 
I'm preaching to myself. Thank you. That's my next scripture. She prepares. So in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, it says that we'll be ready in and out of season. God gives us opportunities every single day to practice being zealous. On the bus, on the train, in your car, in your house, your workplace, so that we can be ready when that job promotion comes up. So that we can be ready to move on that house we've been eyeing for a year to go on the market. But if you're not preparing and you're not saving your money and you're not getting your finances in order, when they put the for sale sign, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, you could look at it, yeah. Or even simpler, when somebody comes and says, can you pray for me? Are you ready to do that? Do you know, have you gotten in the habit of praying and praying for people, not just what you need and what you want? You know what I love about sports and football in particular? The players are relentless. They're relentless. They get tackled and they get up. And they get tackled and they get up. And they get tackled and this is, how long is a football game? Two hours? Uh, hour and three? Okay. And they keep getting up. Most of us don't like getting offended. We don't come to church for two weeks a month when we get offended. Imagine some 300-pound dude knocking you down and then staying on top of you then four other people jumping as if they didn't see that you were already down. That's what I don't even get about the football. Like, you see he's already down. Why do ten more of you have to jump on the person? Somebody will explain that to me later. Even when their team is down by however many points, a few seconds that they know they can't win, they go hard. They're still grabbing that ball. They're still running past that same 300-pound dude that's just standing there like this. Where are you going, right? They still try. They still try. They know they can't win because the game is essentially over, but they still try because they got heart. And they've been practicing day in and day out, despite what it looks like, despite what the odds are, They've been trained to just not stop, no matter what, since they were little. I remember when Dante played sports in high school, one of his um, coaches was just relentless, mean, said horrible things to Dante, horrible to all of them. And I'm like, I want to get him fired. Like, I got angry. Like, how do you talk to teenage boys this way? And Dante was like, I can handle it. But it built something up in him to now he don't care what anybody says to him about anything. And he understood that the chastening, the rebuking, and, and the harsh words, and the training, and the, what time did you used to get up for crew? Four o'clock in the morning? Five o'clock in the morning? It took him to a different level. It helped show him that there's nothing he can't do if he puts his mind to it and to ignore what people say. 
it doesn't affect him anymore. But had it been up to Mama Bear, that dude would have been fired. But then I wouldn't have the son I have today who's relentless. Amen? These guys, they show up for practice every day and they go hard as if it was the big game because they understand that if they don't, they won't be ready when the moment comes. Even the guy on the bench goes hard during practice hoping to get an opportunity to play, hoping to impress, hoping that this will be the game that the coach says, hey, 33, come. But many of us don't prepare until we're sure the thing is coming. We hedge. We hold back. We do enough, but we're half-hearted. Well, he wants us to prepare before we know it's coming. Prepare by faith. That's what he's calling us to in this season. To be prepared so that we don't miss our shot when it comes. We can't be lukewarm and expect greatness. And there are so many opportunities to do the right thing, but we ignore the impulse because we don't want to be uncomfortable and make others uncomfortable. We don't embrace what I call Holy Ghost interruptions because we don't want to be late for work. We don't want to lose sleep. We walk past people that are homeless, or you see people on the bus and the train despondent. You know something's going on with them. But God forbid we walk across the train and give up our seat, right, to say, hey, sis, you all right? Can I pray with you for a minute? Do you want to talk? Is something going on? We won't do it. We won't do it. We miss opportunities to grow, and we miss out on our opportunities for blessings. Because every time we bless somebody else, God blesses us. Every time we sacrifice, we give of our time, our talents, our money, God gives us more than we could ever imagine. Amen? Being zealous means making the most of every opportunity and looking for opportunities to do right. It, it's one thing, and it's good when you do the right thing and you bless people when you're able to. But how many of us are looking for who can we bless? What can I do for him? What can I do for her to make things a little easier? We don't even do nice things for people we live with. Like, oh, let me cook so that the food is ready. I'm home. Let me do their laundry. Let me, oh, he would really like that. Let me pick that up for him. We're not, we only do that when we're in love. Let's be honest. <laughs> then we think about them all the time. We're looking for little gifts, little cards. All right, Jonas still does it. All right, Jonas is still in love. Praise the Lord. Most of us don't. Most of us, we start to slack. We get comfortable. We're like, eh, we're worried about us, our needs, what we want, what we need. He's not doing what I need. He's not, eh, right? But sometimes you have to be the one to sow the, the seed. You have to be the one to set the example. You have to practice it so the other person can learn it. Amen? And I think this, what I'm about to say, Pastor, is tweetable, so get ready. I think. I don't tweet. I tweet? I don't tweet. But I think that if I were to tweet, I would probably say this. 
Every time you have the opportunity to stay home or give up or stay silent, you have an opportunity not to. I liked it. All right. Every time you have the opportunity to stay home or give up or stay silent, you have an opportunity not to. You have an opportunity to do something. If you practice doing what's inconvenient, guess what? It becomes, it stops becoming inconvenient and it becomes a part of your routine. Like with anything, like with working out, whatever, getting up that first time at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray is a pain. Trust me, the bed starts calling you literally out loud. <laughs> come back, come back, come back. But the first time you do it, yeah, it's hard, it's difficult. And then you do it the next day, it's still difficult. You do it the next day, it's still difficult. But three weeks later, it's just your routine. Now you're getting up. You go to bed earlier if that's what you need to do, but you get up and do it because God got up early to pray. Amen? It becomes a habit. Then you'll be ready when that big moment comes. Then you'll be on fire because you are prayed up. Because you've been practicing, you now know how to do the thing. Amen? And you can stand up here telling others who aren't really listening, it's not that hard getting up at 5 to pray. Does anyone know who Brian Hoyer is? No, Chelsea. <laughs> well, she just messed up my whole thing. Uh, pretend not to. Does anybody know who Brian Hoyer is? No. Brian Hoyer has one job, and that one job is to be ready. He works all year round to be ready for that one moment to happen and may never even happen. Can you guess what that one thing is? Laura Lynn. Thank you, Laura Lynn. Nothing yet. All right. This is a tough crowd, Pastor. I'll give you a hint. You will only ever know or see or hear about Brian Hoyer if, God forbid, Tom Brady gets severely injured. Because he's the second-string quarterback for the New England Patriots. Nobody knows that except for Chelsea. Because she's a diehard Pats fan. So this poor guy, right, Brian Hoyer, kills himself daily, all year round. Not hoping that Tom Brady, and I'll say it again, God forbid, because Chelsea's freaking out. Tom Brady will not get hurt. But if he did, the coach don't want to hear Brian Hoyer say, I'm not ready, right? And Brian Hoyer doesn't want to get out there and get sacked and sacked and sacked and throw interceptions and lose the game. So he practices for a day he, he knows will never come. Tom Brady hasn't missed a game this season. And trust me, he'd have to be dead before he lets you pry that ball out of his hand tonight. He'd have to be dead. And even then, I think he'd be like this with it. Can you imagine working that hard 
and being in that position when you know the moment may never actually come. Most of us don't work hard for things we know are coming. We say we'll get ready when it happens. Right? Like we tell people sometime, let me know, then I'll do it. Right? We want guarantees about everything, but the only guarantee in life is that if you don't prepare, you're not going to be ready when it does happen. Mark 14, 27 says, Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. A rooster typically crows once every 20, 10 seconds. So Peter denied Jesus three times in 20 seconds. That's quick. And he had three separate conversations with people in that time. That's how fast he was moving to get out of Dodge. He was trying to get out of there once somebody recognized him. And three different people stopped him and said, I know you. You were with him. Right? But the scripture also says that after the rooster crowed twice, he remembered what Jesus said and he wept. Peter wept because he came to the realization of who he was. That he wasn't rah-rah like he thought he was. That he wasn't zealous. That he was what? That's why he cried. It's hard seeing yourself for the first time. And it only happens when your back is up against the wall. Then you see who you are. Then you'll see what you will do. He saw himself for the first time, and he was utterly disgusted and disappointed in himself. How many of us have been there? When we didn't do the right thing, and then we go home, and we're like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? That was the beginning, though, of him becoming the rock upon which this church was built. It wasn't walking with Jesus for three and a half years. It wasn't seeing the signs and wonders and miracles. It was seeing who he was for himself for the first time. That's when you realize that you're not worthy of the cross. That's when you become grateful that he saved you, that he touched you that he called you out of the mess that you were in, and me, then that's when you have true repentance. That's when you give your heart wholeheartedly to God, when you realize how wretched and miserable and disgusting you are. It's only when you come to that realization that you can give yourself completely to Christ. When we're at a crossroads like Peter was, we're forced to come face to face with ourselves that we're cowards, that we're phonies, that we're liars, that we're weak, that we're gossips, that we're disloyal, or maybe even that we're cheaters and thieves, right? When that moment happens, you have a choice to make. You can accept what you saw in yourself and justify your actions and make excuses why you did nothing? Or you can use what you saw as an impetus for change. You can let it change you. But one thing you can't do is forget what you saw once you saw it. 
You can't unsee something. So which road will we choose? Will we change or stay the same? Will we remain lukewarm or will we allow the Holy Spirit to stir up the fire inside of us? I want to encourage you all to come out of your comfort zones and stand up for people. Show up for stuff. Show up for people. Whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. That's how you avoid becoming lukewarm. That's how you become zealous. You live hard, you laugh hard, you play hard, you work hard, you love hard. Because every moment is important. It's an opportunity to step up. And why do anything in life if you're not going to do it hard? Why do anything? Why love people? Why care? Why go to work? If you're just going to be that, if you're just going to be letting life pass you by, like Pastor likes to say, same old, same old. Why live like that? As you practice changing your mindset, your heart changes. Then your actions, and then ultimately your life changes, and it becomes what God intended it to be. Amen? This word was just to help us all see who we are and where we are. It's up to us if we want to change that, but I invite you to. I never regret walking into this church or that hospital or that funeral or stopping to share the gospel with someone or sharing my testimony with someone. I've never regretted those things. Even though I come tired on Friday like Tony does and Belinda and many others here and I'm tired on Wednesdays, it's hard coming from work and doing a whole other ministry. It's, it's difficult. It's even difficult coming in here on Sunday because Saturday most of us do every other thing in our world that needs doing. Laundry, cooking, compra, whatever. Cleaning, laundry, running our kids to their various activities. So Sunday is like your only day to chill if you wanted to. But we're here. And it's not easy, but we're here. And you don't regret it. I don't regret it. When I leave here, whenever I've made a sacrifice to come to church, I have gotten blessed that day. Always. I've never left here not having something to improve and help me through my week. The only times I regret is when I didn't. The times when I let the moment pass and I did nothing. I regret that. I regret the times I don't go to the hospital to see someone. I regret the time I didn't make it to so-and-so's uncle's sister's brother's funeral. It seems silly. You didn't even know the person. But I've been on the end of people coming to a funeral, and it means something. It means something. 